Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. It is bike month. It is May 2022. What does bike month mean? Well, we'll dig into that with today's guest, who is the director of advocacy for Bike New York, and that's John Orcutt. He is joining me to discuss the present and future of biking in New York City. Bike New York, John's organization, uh, looks to empower New Yorkers to transform their lives and their communities through bicycling uh, with a, a vision to empower youth to educate both young people and adults about bike riding in New York City. And the Bike New York program not only offers education throughout the five boroughs, but also organizes events, including the country's largest bike ride, the TD Five Borough Bike Tour, which helps support those education programs. So I'm really excited to dig in here with John. This is, um, you know, this is the, the issues related to biking in New York City can be complicated. They can be controversial, like anything that relates to how we use our space and our and our public realm. Uh, and looking forward to really good discussion here with John, who's been doing this work for a long time. He was the moderator last year of a mayoral candidate forum in March 2021 with six Democratic candidates taking his questions one by one, including Eric Adams, the eventual winner, of course, who's a, a pretty pro bike riding and active bike rider. And we'll see how his policies and the execution of them wind up stacking up there. But I want to talk with John about uh, his reflections back to Eric Adams's answers during that forum and, and what he's seeing from the mayor here in his first months in office and so much more. So my conversation with John Orcutt of Bike New York in just one moment. First, if you missed any of our recent reporting at Gotham Gazette, find us at GothamGazette.com. We've been covering a whole bunch of important issues and developments at the city and state levels here in New York, uh, fallout from the state budget that was passed last month and what's happening in the state legislative session in Albany that is only has a few more days to it really, is supposed to uh, wrap up in early June as some legislators are, are getting ready to uh, face election in late June and uh, the state Senate primaries have been moved to August, but the state assembly are still due at the end of June along with statewide offices. And there's a whole mess around the elections that we won't get into right now, but we're covering lots of ins and outs there. We also recently published an article at Gotham Gazette with a preview of races to watch in those June primaries, the statewide primaries, governor, lieutenant governor, and so on, the assembly primaries. There's a bunch of interesting primaries, especially in New York City, to keep an eye on and vote in if you're in the relevant districts. And then, of course, uh, anybody who's registered as a Democrat or Republican has a pretty interesting gubernatorial primary to vote in in June as well and other races. So check that out here on the podcast. Uh, you can find any episodes you may have missed at Max Politics, wherever you get podcasts, or we have them all at the Gotham Gazette site. Speaking of the gubernatorial primary, I recently spoke with Representative Tom Swazi of Long Island. His district also covers a little bit of Queens, of course, about his campaign for governor. He's running in the Democratic primary against Governor Kathy Hochul and public advocate Jamani Williams. I've also had some other great recent guests, including state legislators, advocates, experts, and a whole bunch more. So check those out wherever you get podcasts or the Gotham Gazette site. All right, let's talk with John Orcutt of Bike New York, the advocacy director there. He also works with some other organizations. John, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Ben. Uh, great to be here. 
So um, I was thinking back to that mayoral forum that you moderated last year, uh, a little over a year ago. Um, when you were asking questions of those Democratic mayoral candidates, uh, including the eventual winner, Eric Adams, just take take us back for a second as you were thinking about the possibility of there being um a better bike mayor, you know, there was obviously going to be a new mayor. Bill de Blasio was being term limited out. Uh, we knew there would be a new mayor here in 2022. When you were thinking about the sort of possibilities back then about having someone who would be better for biking in New York City, what was top of mind back then about what you wanted to hear from mayoral candidates about making New York City a better city for bike riding? Well, you know, for all the drama, you know, we tend to get around, uh, bike lanes and, you know, street space issues and fights over those things, you know, it's not super ideological to me. What, what, in a lot of ways, what we need is, is a kind of um, civic mechanic who can figure out how to make it work. Um, and so that's, I, you know, I was really, you know, pushing hard on those kinds of things. Like what, what are you going to do, you know, with your deputy mayor to, to, to clash some heads between agencies. What are you gonna, what are you gonna free DOT to finally um, implement that's gonna keep you know cars and trucks out of bike lanes? So I was I was really pushing in that regard. And so, you know, it was interesting because um, you know of most of the candidates, the major candidates anyway, Adams had the least specific stuff written down. Mm -hmm. um, like Stringer had a very detailed plan. Catherine Garcia had a detailed plan, and she amplified it as she went. And, um, you know, Sean Donovan had, had a lot of stuff down and, uh, you know, in writing. And Adams didn't have that much, um, but he's also a guy who bike rides. Um, but he's also a guy who lives in a neighborhood that has fended off bike improvements um, over the last decade or more um, pretty successfully um, from, their, from their point of view, from the point of view of NIMBYs or, you know, anti-change people. Um, so, you know, so it was interesting. And, and a lot of the discussion with Adams focused on, like, who, you know, who is the right messenger for, for different communities. And, 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 you know, he was sort of couching it like that. Like we, we, we can do this, but we need to reach people differently. Mm -hmm. All right. Fast forward here. Eric Adams is the mayor now in, um, in January of this year, right at the beginning of the term, uh, Eric Adams had appointed Idanis Rodriguez as the commissioner of the New York city department of transportation Bike New York uh, sent a letter to Commissioner Rodriguez to the Adams administration um, about bike lanes. What are the highlights of, of that letter? You tried to set the tone early. The date on this letter is January 7th, so very early in the in the tenure of the administration. What were you trying to get across to the new? I mean, I, you know, I, I think I had been trying to, you know, I, I had that letter written in my head for a couple of years, right? And, I, you know, and, and obviously it was going to be lost on the de Blasio administration. But, um, you know, it, we have this kind of best of times and worst of times with biking in the city right now where, Bike riding is way up. Um, there's more verbal rhetoric devoted to making it work. City bike is a huge success. You know, three million or more rides per month now in in, in most of the year. Um, but at the same time, you know, traffic fatalities are getting worse. Car traffic has surged back to a, you know, at least a recent you know high volume. Um, and the bike lanes that we're building, you know, in, in greater numbers are full of cars and trucks almost all the time. And so that latter part was the focus of the letter. I and mean, it was trying to really get at, um, 
those mechanical issues. Like this kind of bike lane is working okay, it could use some help. These kind of bike lanes are a disaster and they're not working at all. Um, so please address these things, you know, at a detailed level. Mm-hmm. And and what is working right now? Let's let's start there. What what what's what's good? What's working? What seems to be heading in the right direction from your perspective? Well, what's interesting is what's working is the stuff that we actually pioneered back in, in the Bloomberg administration when I worked at DOT, and and you know we had a commissioner who was determined to find new ways to do things, Jeanette Sadikan, and. Um, the parking protected bike lane was developed first on Ninth Avenue uh, in 2007 and replicated in a bunch of bigger avenues where you basically move parking off the curb and you create kind of a third space in the road between the sidewalk and the, the parking that becomes the bike lane. And those have always worked pretty well. And the new ones DOT does today work pretty well. Um, but what the city has never developed is a template for protecting a bike lane that doesn't have that row of parked cars between the moving traffic and it, and and part of that is um, if you just take a parking away and say this is now a bike lane, you're directly fighting the idea of parking at, at the curb and p- having some place to stop the vehicles, and um, and we just haven't that hasn't worked. Like the DOT put in a protected bike lane, sort of anticipating the L train shutdown maybe around 2016, 2017 on Grand Street in Williamsburg. And it's been a disaster from day one. It's a disaster. Like if, if we went down there in an hour, it would be full of cars and trucks. I know that um, from experience. And, and DOT's replicated that in a bunch of places, uh, most recently Northern Boulevard in Western Queens. It's, you know, I was there yesterday. And, and every time I go there, it's full of cars and trucks. And it's, it's, a, it's just not a, it's not a template that's working. Um, so DOT needs some new design um, approaches to those things that compete directly with curb access and they need, and we need, you know, a, we need a really a harder uh, enforcement of regulation saying there are some places to put cars and trucks around here, but they're just not here. And you need to observe that. Mm-hmm. So harden the infrastructure of bike lanes um, and harden the enforcement of keeping bike lanes clear. Those are basically the, the two of the big goals. Yeah. And, and you know, what's interesting is, you know, Adams and, and, you know, as was the sign of the day, he announced that, that Adonis Rodriguez had become the commissioner. They basically said bike lane quality is going to be our thing. We're going to we're going to we're going to put walls along a bunch of bike lanes and they've scaled it back. I mean, they, they, they announced a very ambitious mileage target. Um, and I go out to a few of those a week now to see how it's going. And, and what they're doing is not working very well. So. I don't know if um, the commissioner is asking the right questions or is really going out there and talking to his people and saying, um, we can do these things, but, you know, miles of Jersey barriers isn't the measure. Whether the bike lanes are usable by bikes is the measure. Um, And whether we're we're making it safer and and more attractive to ride bikes is the measure. And we're still not there. So I I don't think we're getting that kind of um, civic mechanic attention that says, um, we're going to keep trying at this till it works somehow mm-hmm. in some way. So say, say more about what the, the vision is or should be, um, the vision from your perspective and, and should be from the city perspective in terms of, um, building out the infrastructure for a more bike friendly city to, um, make sure that avid bike riders and the more casual bike riders are all, 
feeling safe, secure, and able to get around by bike, um, you know, as they want to and feel safe doing it and therefore encouraging more people to, you know. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that is the vision. And, and in some ways, it should be uniquely attainable um, for an American city here in New York, right? We don't go that far anywhere in, in New York as New Yorkers. We, we have 9 million or so people in a pretty small area. And most of us work in the borough we live in. Um, a lot of us, you know, don't even work in an office anymore. But and so we're going a mile, a few miles. I was at City Hall today. It's maybe four miles from where I'm sitting now, Greenpoint. Um, those things are all super doable on bikes. And, and now with e-bikes, they're even more, more doable and you can go a little further. Um, so that should just be an option for anyone who wants it. And you should, you should feel safe doing it. Um, you know, we, we, I think we look collectively learn more about the value of open space and outdoor urban life during the pandemic. And, and, you know, we still don't have a lot of that kind of space to just be outside and, and recreate and move through the city in an outdoor way. Um, and those are all attainable with a, with, you know, with some of the bike lane templates we have certainly with, the idea of building linear parks and greenways, which we have to some degree, but not well connected and not not well cared for uh, in a lot of places, and and you know not sort of moving toward connecting them all very quickly right now. Um, those things should all work, and 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 you know we see sort of surges of interesting stuff happen, like the new Brooklyn Bridge bike lane that mm -hmm. opened last September and doubled bike traffic on this on that bridge overnight. Um, by by taking it out of the like chaotic pedestrian realm of the promenade, um, so but but we still we still I don't think are doing this stuff like we mean it. Like everyone wants to talk about bikes as a thing, and you know we we support the deliveristas. We you know we 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 want sustainability and zero emission travel. Um, but you you know you have to be doing more on the streets to really make that vision work. Mm -hmm. especially to make it safe for people who don't want to throw elbows with cabs and people who want to take their kids out. So what does it, what does it look like? Say a little bit more about what the right system looks like in New York city. Obviously there's, there's, you know, quite a few different types of streets. You know, there's the big avenues in, in Manhattan. Um, there's lots of side streets in all the boroughs. Um, sure. but, but what, what, is, you know, take, take us through what it looks like so that it's, um, you know, it's becoming less and less piecemeal, the more bike lanes that are put in, but we also have lots of bike lanes that are basically just, you know, some paint on the ground, some arrows, you know, some, some, uh, you know, person on a bike, uh, uh, symbols. Um, what, what is it, what does it look like? What does the infrastructure look like in the sort of big picture vision that you would say, here's where we can get in the next few years? So I, I think it looks it has a few different looks. One one look is the is the look of most of the Manhattan avenues in Midtown or or Midtown and South now, which is the parking protected bike lane on the big huge streets where you can move you know you can take some lanes of traffic and move the parking over, but with a little more physicality at the intersections so that you're pouring the pedestrian islands that help set the bike lane off there. You're making the turns a little more right angle and slower for for cars that are coming across those bike lanes. Um, so we're going to do, we're doing that in more places. Um, we pro and we, and, and then it, then you have to figure out what, what the other kinds of streets look like. So like a big arterial in the boroughs where you may not be able to take 
liens necessarily, though, you know, there's still plenty where you could do that. Um, um, some of it's one wing, a two way avenue, because then it just it, it, let, it, it simplifies the traffic flow dramatically so that you can then take a lane and, um, you know, start to start to do that kind of rearrangement with the parking lane. Kent Avenue in Williamsburg used to be um, two ways, just a two way traffic you know, usual street full of cars and parking. Now it's one way and there's not much less parking, but there is a two-way bike path, which is one of the busiest in the city. We could do that kind of thing in many more places. The city's now talking about that on Skirmahorn Street in downtown Brooklyn, finally, which is a, a great idea. Um, so there's some of that stuff and, and the one weighing actually makes it safer. And, and there's kind of a planning school theory that says two-way lanes, two-way streets are great, but in New York, some of the worst kill zones are, big two-way streets because cars are trying to make a left and they're looking for other cars and not pedestrians and cyclists. Um, and so one weighing more of those big streets is, is, a, is a, would be a really real benefit and it gives you more flexibility on the space. Then like how you connect all that stuff up cross town and in smaller street grids, I think we should be going toward sort of the, the stuff they're pioneering in London where they, they call it a low traffic neighborhood. So basically you reduce the circulation options for cars. Um, and so you don't need to take a linear space for bikes necessarily. You just cut the volume down on some connecting streets. And I wish we would do this on cross towns in Manhattan instead of trying to shoehorn in these little four foot protected bike lanes um, that are very uncomfortable to ride in. Um, because in a street grid, you have many options to go many different ways. And that's one of the strengths of the street system in New York. So we could start removing some pieces of that grid and making them more friendly for people. So you don't necessarily have to then take people's parking um, and have a huge, you know, dramatic battle over that. You just start to, you know, force cars to turn every so many blocks. And so it's less attractive for through traffic to be there. And you create a friendlier place for, for bikes. And, and there are so many little subgrids across the city. There's vast, vast ones in, in Brooklyn, Queens, especially. Um, but, you know, but throughout town, you could you could do those strategies. You could still ensure emergency vehicle access and all those things. We see it done all over the world. But we need to get serious about that um, and not get caught up in, in this sort of trench warfare that so many um, so many parts of city government sort of unfortunately subscribe to. Um, rather than just saying the mayor wants us to do these things, here's how we're going to do them. We'd like to work with you on how we do them, but we're not going to have a fight about whether we're going to do them. Hmm. I want to come back to that in a minute, um, but let, let's set let's set a few more sort of baselines of the picture we're talking about here. I was looking back in preparation for this conversation um, in December of last year, uh, just just a few weeks before the end of the De Blasio administration and the end of the of the tenure of City Council Speaker Corey Johnson, who was a a pretty big champion for um, you know the redesign of how we use public space in in New York City. Um, and it was his sort of streets master plan legislation that led to the the development of the city's first streets plan. They they announced it, released it in, uh, in December of last year. In that announcement, the De Blasio administration touted having added um, 140 miles of protected bike lanes. Now there's obviously lots of uh, dispute about what actually a protected bike lane means. We can come back to that in a minute. I think you've touched on a bit of that before, but the streets plan also commits the city and, and through the department of transportation by the end of 2026, 
um, to doing a whole bunch of things. It's not just about bikes, of course, but that's what we're talking about here. Um, but, but also bus lanes and pedestrianization and so forth. But that streets plan that they published um, based on the law that the city council passed also included uh, 250 more miles of protected, protected bike lanes. So um, with between the de Blasio administration pointing to 140 miles of protected bike lanes, building on the Bloomberg administration, then now basically in Eric Adams's first term or only term, depending on what happens, um, and a little bit more talking about another 250 miles of protected bike lane. You also, though, wrote in your letter to uh, the Department of Transportation here under Mayor Adams that mileage goals are not the right metric and that's not that's not really how to think about it. So say a little bit about where we're at with the sort of total amount of of bike lanes and protected bike lanes in the city and how that streets plan sounds to you and why you don't put mileage as, you know, sort of the top. Well, I mean, I think, I think, you know, the, the mileage is significant now and I don't know what the number is, but you know, we've been doing a lot. The problem is a lot of it doesn't work and, um, and is really low quality. So that's my concern. I, I mean, I'm happy to someone to say, like, we're going to get 100 miles of, like, you know, car-proof greenway built. But um, the question is, and, but, and, 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 you know, and you saw, like, the thing that made me, like, so wary of this was, you know, de Blasio was out there saying, like, vision zero and, you know, protected bike lanes, blah, blah, blah. And he, he either had no idea what he was talking about or was totally disingenuous about the whole thing. Because the city wasn't practicing anything close to vision zero. They were constantly trading off safety for other concerns, um, you know, as a routine daily practice. Uh, and, 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 and the bike lanes, you know, the, the, the propaganda was all about the mileage. So, it, you know, it's just like city government is good at measuring what it does, right? Like 100 bureaucrats uh, can trigger 100, you know, crew people to go out and screw in a hundred light bulbs, but like who, you know, do they all go out after two days and, you know, in public housing, we don't know. Um, and, and that's how they treat bike lanes. They, you know, they only count bikes in like 15 places in the whole city. Most of them are in Manhattan or close to Manhattan. And so like the only real metric they have is people getting injured and killed um, in terms of the efficacy of this stuff. So it's just, it's, it's, it's 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 very kind of superficial the the approach and um i think Corey johnson would have been like a good urban mechanic given the resources and the the power to do this stuff it's just it's just very easy for elected people to get caught up in this like we're doing the mileage and it's great but they haven't they don't ride bikes on it every day so they'll see what a disaster it is in most of you know in much of the network Mm -hmm. who Let's let's zoom way out here for a minute. Um, and, and, you know, what's what's the best way to capture who is regularly riding bikes in New York City? Um, how do you sort of capture for people what we know about bike ridership in the city? I mean, it, we don't we don't really have a good picture of that at all. We have very little data. And, you know, probably the, the most comprehensive thing is just the annual federal census. Um, um, whatever it's called, the American survey, mm-hmm. et cetera. American survey, yeah. Um, and that's, you know, and that's a very small sample of people that they talk mm-hmm. to. But, you know, what's interesting to me is that it, it's, a, it's, it's really a cross-section of the city. You know, like a lot of the work 
being done on to answer your question across the country fine it's it's a lot of low-income people because you get a bike and then you don't you know your marginal costs per trip are like very very small mm-hmm. um but you know but then there was this narrative going around like during the bloomberg years that it was like a bunch of yuppies and entitled rich people um and those poles and those that, those parts of the spectrum are there, but it's it's some of everybody. And you know, I don't know if the Times had a piece uh, maybe a month ago about people doing more, you know, moving of kids with bikes, and and you know, a lot of that was people who could afford like big kid carrying bikes. Um, but you know, you really see everybody, and if you like, if you build something that works, like in East New York in the new state park out there, Shirley Chisholm. Um, they actually have, you know, that park is pretty big and it has like 10 miles of internal trails. And so they actually have like a little bike loaner program in that park, a couple of containers full of bikes. You just come in, you give your driver's license to the people running it and they give you a bike for two hours and you can roll around on 10 miles of cool trails on Jamaica Bay. And that thing is like on, in, on good days, the, the demand exceeds the supply there um, mm-hmm. for those loaner bikes. So like you give people a safe place to ride, you make the bikes as accessible to people. And it's almost all people from the immediate zip codes who are using that facility. So um, lower income, African-American, Latino, whatever, like you make this work and people use it. The working cyclists, uh, you know, community has exploded as a, as a presence on our street. Um, you do like you go to the Willis Avenue bike lane. It's a really good bike lane, one of the best in the city right now. It connects the hub um, to the Willis Avenue Bridge. It's it's mostly working cyclists in that bike lane um, most of the day. And that's important that we're protecting them and that they can get to work and that some of them are commuters because they live in the Bronx, but their their delivery routes are in Manhattan. So they're using that bike lane to get to work and, and home. Mm-hmm. So like it's everybody. Like and 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 if yeah. you make it work, and and the 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 numbers that we saw during the pandemic. People just were like, we're not going to get on the subway during this, but we got to get out and do stuff. And so, you know, we saw, you know, I, I mentioned there are about 15 places that count bikes. The numbers at those counters, which we can get daily counts for, um, those exploded. And right. we've never seen it so high, except in the few days after Hurricane Sandy, when the subways were shut down. The city um, Department of Transportation publishes some reports on this. As you said, a lot of it uh, comes from census surveys and and other data points, it seems a little bit hard to to you know for for to have a, a a very good sense of this. The city department of transportation to throw out a few data points. They report um, uh, in 2021. They're sort of end of year 20. You know, wrapping up after 2020. Obviously, the the major pandemic year that included that horrible horrible first wave when there was a stay at home orders. Um, they estimated that somewhere close to 800,000 New Yorkers ride a bike regularly, that that's at least uh, several times a month, Um, and that it's 26% of adult New Yorkers, approximately 1.6 million people, um, wrote, said they rode a bike at least once in the past year, and they reported roughly 1,375 lane miles of bike lanes installed in New York City as of 2020, um, somewhere around a third of those classified as protected. Um, and that on a typical day in New York City, there's more than 530,000 cycling trips. 
So that's that's a little bit of the numbers from the Department of Transportation that that I have here uh, published, I believe, in 2021, looking you know at numbers through 2020. Um, what should be the is there a goal here? I mean, there's obviously goals talked about about getting people out of cars. Um, you know, should should we be thinking about this relative to other you know global cities where there's much more of a a biking culture? Um, should we be thinking about goals here in terms of um, getting people, especially in this you know quote unquote post pandemic era? Though I don't know you know when we're really fully getting out of this pandemic, but in this in this post pandemic era, um, obviously the subway ridership is still significantly down. A lot of that is, is because of work from home trends. Um, but should we be thinking about, um, creating, you know, a city where there's certain goals around bike ridership and how people are getting to and from work when they are going to work? Um, are there metrics you, you know, you, you put on that in terms of what the goals should be? Well, I don't know what the end goal is in terms of like, you know, 60% of people riding bikes X times a day. I mean, the num- well, a lot of the numbers you cited are pretty thin, you know, extrapolations from pretty yeah. thin surveys. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. But um, I do know, like, we're also in an era of, you know, radical climate change. And we have just like massive car commuting in the city and, uh, you know, like street conditions in the evening rush hour that I've never seen before in, you know, in this part of Brooklyn or, you know, parts of Queens I go to a lot or anywhere in town. It's just, it's like, it's just, it's bonkers to me how much car traffic there is in the city. And I, I don't know if it's people, you know, some people avoid in the subways or there's like some wealth effect from, you know, in, in certain parts of the population that have just allowed car ownership to, to explode, easy money, whatever. But but it's 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 really like noticeable and, and crazy for a city that's dense. Um, so I, I think we need a focus on transportation that says we we should be able to do short trips um, by bike and walking. And we should be really investing a lot in our transit system to make it more attractive and to make it sort of less monocentric around the, the central business district. And I think bikes and transit go together in that way. I mean, a staple of sustainable transportation and the places that do it well is combining bikes and transit. And we really don't do that in a formal way in New York at all. We put city bike stations near subways and that actually works. I mean, surveys of city bike riders show a, a lot of them use it in connection with other forms of transportation, like skipping the local and taking the, the bike to the express or, you know, or getting cross town uh, on the bike and then, you know, going the long haul on, on the subway. Um, but, you know, one thing I've worked on is trying to get the MTA to start thinking about bikes. And, and we got some legislation passed in all day last year on that. And the MTA is responding pretty well to that and, you know, in, in some surprising ways. And so, you know, I'm, I'm really trying to get the city and the MTA to work together on like a bike parking to transit, like, you know, the city has a open data source on where it puts bike racks. And so you can look at that, but there's no intentionality around like outlying subway stations. Like you, you know, they're, they're very much, they have a sort of rote routine of putting them in on commercial strips. But like you look at say like the end of the L train in Canarsie, there's one bike rack within like five blocks of that subway station, which is insane because, you know, the subway coverage out there isn't great, um, but you can make it much easier for people to get to the train there uh, in terms of time costs. If they could just bike to a, a good bike 
bike parking area right by that station. And that's true of like, you know, you'd look at like the last six train, you know, stops on that line, let alone, you know, the outlying parts of the number seven, the F train, whatever, um, the, the terminals up at the end of the Bronx. Um, and you, you could, you could start to really accomplish some stuff there if you made it work. Mm-hmm. Um, the legislation you're referring to, I was looking at this in uh, towards the end of last year as well. Governor Hochul signed legislation um, from State Senator Alessandro Biaggi and Assemblymember Jessica Gonzalez Rojas that um, requires the MTA to develop a strategic plan to promote cycling and pedestrian access on MTA bridges and other facilities operated by the MTA. Uh, and consider and prioritize bicycle and pedestrian access when planning capital projects. If that's if that's really um, implemented, that could that could be a significant change in terms of sort of the connectivity. I mean, a lot of what we're getting back getting at here is like the connectivity and the ease and making it um, convenient for people to be able to get places, get places safely, and have the sort of seamless, you know, transition between biking and other forms of transportation or biking and wherever their destination is. Um, but that, that legislation sounds like it could have some, some significant impact if the MTA really does implement it. Yeah, no. And, you know, Jenna Lieber said some good stuff, you know, in that regard this year, I mean, you know, they, they've done, you know, very little, they opened a, like a pilot bike parking unit at Grand Central but when they were doing that, he's like, look, we want to put bike racks on everything if we can, um, which is great. But, you know, let's let's start to see some of it. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, and they they operate seven bridges in the city and all of them technically prohibit bikes, even though in practical terms, some of them have pretty heavy bike traffic on them already. Mm-hmm. Um, city bike. What's where are we at with city bike in your estimation and where is where it's what's like the next, you know, what's the next frontier and how does this fit into, you know, the, the picture of, of biking in New York city. What's the, what's your present assessment what's the vision and what's your recommendations for where that needs to go? Well, I mean, I haven't paid a huge amount of attention to city bike in the last mm-hmm. couple of years. Cause it's working. Like, <laughs> I mean, the, the beauty of city bike is um, a, like in 2013 when it was launched and it had 10,000 rides on the first day and it just has, has gone from there. It sort of blew the, blew the doors off of anyone. It was like, New Yorkers don't, don't want to ride bikes. This is never going to be a a bike city. And you just like, you just sort of made it easier for some set of people and they started doing it right away. And, you know, and, and, you know, you had like people who were jerks about it, like Anthony Weiner starts to get photographed riding it. You know, he's like, I'm going to tear out all the bike lanes when I become mayor. Um, You had celebrities riding them. You had paparazzi following them around riding them. And, you know, and and it was good. And 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 it sort of really changed that you know, sort of late Bloomberg dynamic from like, hell no bike lanes in our neighborhood to like, when are we going to get city bike in our neighborhood? And we still sort of have that dynamic. And I think the city should be exploiting it more, which is like, yeah, you can get city bike, but you need to stop fighting, you know, the street changes that make it work better and make it safer for everybody. Um, And we're going to do all those things in tandem. Um, So I don't know. So, you know, again, it's city bike and, and it's not, the city doesn't really play this up, but it's, it's close to being one of the biggest bike share systems in the world outside of uh, a few places in China. 
Uh, and that's kind of just happened quietly. Um, and, you know, and to the de Blasio administration's credit, the system was in bad shape with its first operator in 2014. And they managed to get rid of that operator and find good people to come in and fix some of the problems and make it work. And then and then it expanded and de Blasio held up the expansion for a little bit. But, you know, finally, on, it uncorked itself and, and it's, it's working really well to the point where we, you know, we're getting millions of rides a month. Um, you know, I, I bet we'll hit four million rides a month. Um, you know, this There's a this little spring. bit of question about whether the city needs to start helping subsidize expansion to make sure it gets into every neighborhood. Is that something you have? No, no. Uh, you know, there's a lot of rhetoric around that. And some of the advocates just say whatever Lyft says about it, you know, Lyft, the owner of City Bike. And I don't understand that because like, yes, we should keep expanding it because that it works. Right. And it's and it's still popular. We haven't hit like a density threshold or something at the outer edge of the system where it stops getting used very much. It's getting used less per bike say in the Bronx than it does in the central business district, but that's fine. Um, so I, th- I think you need to look at those things in detail. Like where does it make sense to have city bike? And if we had like $10 million to spend on bikes in Southeastern Queens, is city bike the thing, or is it some bike lanes or is it some greenways that have been on the books for 30 years and never built? Um, is Does Tottenville need city bike or does Tottenville need some bike facilities? I don't know, but let's ask it that way instead of just saying, city bike for all because it's easy rhetoric um and also like i don't know how lyft is doing on city bike i suspect because rideshare doesn't make money they actually do pretty well on city bike uh, you know relative to the rest of their business um so maybe they're doing fine and they should be pushed to, you know like the money that Citibank and lyft and lyft successor have put into bike share is money that didn't have to come out of the city budget and some people make make this sort of virtuous thing, like we'd rather have public money on this. And it's like, well, why? That's incredible. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like public, you know, and there's like, you know, post-scarcity, blah, blah, blah. But mm-hmm. like if you're running a city agency, the idea of post-scarcity is like total garbage. So like let's and and you know, and 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 let's let's keep making them pay for the expansion if we can. Um, you know, again, it's working. They're not, you know, they're not crying uncle. I, I would, I'm, I'm hoping the city's looking under the hood a little bit. Like, you know, there's been some rumblings of Uber sort of really starting to back out of the, the car business. Um, and, you know, just in the last few months and like, if Lyft goes under, what is our plan to run city bike? I want to know that. And maybe it's just, we just have a, a contract with the city who pays an operating company like they do in Boston or DC. Um, but I want to know what that plan is. Cause um, you know, those, those companies may not be sustainable. And a lot of the other like so-called mobility companies have been really fly by night. And, um, you know, you want to, you want to protect the system because it really is big and viable here and it's working like nowhere else in the United States. And, and like a lot of places in the world, you know, the, a lot of the peer systems that were launched around the same time as city bike, like London, bike share, Mexico city, Barcelona, they've grown barely at all since that period. Whereas city bike is, you know, grown by, you know, quite a few multiples already. And again, it's one of the biggest and most heavily used in the, in the country. And we should be building on that. And we should be building on that with better bike infrastructure to ride in, certainly. You're listening to Max Politics here with Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. I'm talking with John Orca, the advocacy director for Bike New York, a nonprofit organization that does bike education and bike events, including the TD Five Borough Bike Tour, the country's largest bike ride. Um, what are the other 
key pieces of the puzzle here. You know, we obviously, when we talk about biking in the city, there's obviously the bike lanes, right? <laughs> the bike lanes, making them safe, getting uh, making sure and as part of the safety issue that they're not being parked in, um, the expansion of bike lanes, the connectivity, you got it early in this conversation, you got it, you know, uh, sort of intersection design, a lot of things related to the sort of lanes and the physical infrastructure and safety. We talked a little bit about parking, uh, you know, bike parking availability. We talked about integrating bikes with, um, mass transit in terms of, of the MTA. What are other pieces of the equation here to make a more bike-friendly city? Are, are there other pieces? Obviously, your organization and others do bike education. Um, there's helmet giveaways. Um, are there any other pieces of the puzzle here that we haven't mentioned that are really important pieces that are that we ha- that we haven't talked about yet? Yeah, there are a couple. I think one is one is um, one relates to how to get the cars and trucks out of the bike lanes. I mean, we, we can. We can physically do that eventually. I mean, what you know, DOT has always maintained these big 11 feet, you know, paths in bike lanes, protected bike lanes, because they need to get big street sweepers in there. And so finally, we now have the sanitation department buying smaller, skinnier mm-hmm. street sweepers, which is great. But um, now we need DOT to respond and, and show that you can use those street sweepers with maybe slightly narrower bike lanes in some cases or bike lanes that have a barrier at the end of each block. So that you can get a skinny street sweeper in, but not a uh, not a delivery truck. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, you know. So I'm hoping DOT will respond and start to show more of that as the year goes on. Um, you know, that, and that was some of the some of the stuff we were pushing them on in January, and 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 they responded fairly positively at the time. But the other part is that you know in New York we've really almost completely removed any incentive for just bike driving like an idiot and parking wherever you feel like. Um, people just stop in any moving lane anywhere in the city now with a truck. So we, I have had it like this, the, the avenues at either end of my block, we have head on traffic collisions almost all day because there's a delivery truck just parked in the lane. And so we need, we need to, we need to come into the real world and say, those things need space to deliver, which means not everyone's going to get the free parking that they want um, on, on their block and on their, you know, a lot of these avenues should have meters and they don't. Um, because the city's so far behind on that. So there's a whole like street management piece that's just sort of being done. If it's being done, it's just being done in like like very weak sort of dribs and 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 you know, not not we're not on top of it as a city and as a as a polity. And we're just we're letting people who want to park wherever they want to park. And I've I've never seen so much parking like in crosswalks, in curb cuts. On oh, yeah. and, and the double parking is is out of control everywhere you go. I mean, people people are just as you yeah, say. And the city's message is that's okay because we're mm-hmm. not going to enforce it. We're not going to do anything about it. And and the police will like dismiss the complaints and falsify their responses on three one one etc. So we need to re- bring those disincentives back and I think expand the parking enforcement unit that we have which seems very unproductive and had a lot of vacancies coming out of the last year, Mm -hmm. the numbers I saw. Um, And I don't care who runs it, if it's DOT or the police, but it needs to be run in a way that is actually starting to respond to the scale of the problem, not just saying like, well, we increased tickets by 2% this year. Like who cares? Mm -hmm. We don't even know what that means. So, so manage the streets and, and make them work. And, 
you know, some people think we can completely automate enforcement to, to take away car stops and stuff. But, you know, the more we've automated stuff, the more like one inch of electrical tape on your license plate can get you out of not only speed camera tickets, but also automated tolls. And so then we need someone to go out and look at people's license plate and give them tickets for putting tape on their plates. Um, so there's no way around this. You just have to deal with it and do it. And I can't see how it gets better if we just continue to, to, to let it be a free for all that, that no one's in charge of and everyone intones about how they want to create streets for people. And, you know, they claim they're going to, you know, repurpose 25% of the street space, which is like a total joke compared to where we are. Mm -hmm. um, and they're, but they're not doing but it. something, not, but something not, you're in favor of, <laughs> of course I'm in favor of it, but like, yeah. come on, yeah. like we're not even close to being able to do that. And, and I don't, the DOT doesn't even really have the tools to do that because a lot of the stuff we do with paint and the plastic sticks and like the, t the movable barriers and stuff, that's all a workaround for the fact that we don't have any real public construction program for our streets. Like if you go to London, when they build a big bikeway, they build it. They don't just paint it and stick up some temporary stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's true in Paris too. And, and, you know, we have this bifurcation with the department of design and construction, which is like the ultimate backwater of civic government. <laughs> Uh, that that reminds me of something. Bike boulevards. These are supposed to be something that um, I, I believe you know Mayor De Blasio announced he was he was going to do some bike boulevards. I never fully got you know a, a real understanding of what um, those are supposed to be. Are those something that you're a proponent of? And what? Yeah, what I, th like, I think they're what great. They, and, what, and what are they supposed to be? So they're supposed to be that kind of low traffic street that I was talking about earlier. Oh. And I didn't use the phrase bike boulevards because okay. it's like so disorienting to many people. Like mm -hmm. when, when the Blasio first said bike boulevards, people were like, yeah, I want like Atlantic Avenue fixed finally, right? That's a big boulevard that could, you know, you, you know, you take a couple lanes out of Atlantic Avenue, it becomes a bike boulevard. But what they mean by bike boulevard is a place that maybe doesn't have a lot of linear bike lanes, but has some traffic diversions. So it's, so it's more friendly to, to to be on, on a bike. The problem is the first set of those, they made some of these traffic diversions, but they also did these like big ass usual DOT protected bike lanes. It took a lot of parking and then became the usual drama over that. Um, and then and then the way they do bike lanes is they're easy to block. So you go up to the one say on Jackson uh, Avenue in the Bronx and it's full of cars. Um, the one in, uh, in um, like Sunnyside Woodside works pretty well because the traffic diversion at either end of it are pretty good to the extent that you probably don't need the big bike lanes that they put in in parts of it. Um, and, the, and the pattern takes a little while to get used to, but um, they need to do those, but they should be diverting traffic with like concrete and steel, not like plastic stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but I think we could do more of those and we could do them without taking parking and therefore have less drama and you would get more support from the people who live there because they have less traffic on their street. Um, you don't even have to call You could call a low traffic neighborhood like they do in London and not have to invoke the whole like drama around bikes. So you got us to where I want to conclude. Um, uh, we are talking here on Thursday, May 19th, 2022. It's uh, part of May bike month. And today was a bike to work day uh, participated in by some members of the city council and other elected officials and advocates. You said you were at city hall today. Um, city council member Lincoln Ressler announcing that in um, conjunction with borough president Antonio Reynoso and uh, about uh, 18 city council members and several other borough presidents, 
introducing legislation that would streamline the process of being able to to change bike infrastructure um, and removing what he calls an unnecessary 45-day waiting period after presenting plans and getting community feedback. Um, this could obviously impact the, the speed at which bike lanes are, are implemented. Um, talk about that and just the bigger picture of how to get past, as you pointed out, the drama that often comes with proposals around uh, bike lanes. Well, I, I, the legislation that those guys did is great, and I'm, I'm grateful to both of them for, for introducing it and, and tackling that issue right off. So we, you know, we strongly support it, and you know, and 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 really, you know, like those guys as as allies. Um, you know, but I think, but a lot of this rests with the mayor. What we haven't seen yet under the Adams administration is like DOT coming in and proposing something good for bikes and a community board saying no, and then seeing how that goes. We're still waiting for that kind of test case. Mm -hmm. And that was when we knew that vision zero was going bad under de Blasio in 2015, when DOT presented some safety issues, safety proposals, not for the, for bikes necessarily, but in in a couple of cases in the Bronx and, and one down in Sheepshead Bay, the community board said no, and DOT said okay, and they backed off, and then people were killed in both cases uh, later on those streets. Um, and that that was pretty early in the De Blasio administration. It was a it was a really bad sign. So here's so here's the question: What are they What are they going to do if the community board starts to starts to you know vote against this stuff? And De Blasio De Blasio's method was to often you know not not in those cases where they backed off, but to to sort of keep hammering at the issue in kind of a frontal way and 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 get you know take it take it through the the sort of brutal details of the community process for a year and then and then go over the board's head and do it anyway and it was kind of the worst of all worlds i mean to me the way that we did city bike in 2013 and 2012 during the outreach process was the better way to do it which was to say the mayor has decided we we're doing this we're going to get a bike share system in new york we want to work with you on where they should go and how we should put it together. We we have certain criteria that must be met in terms of distance between stations and size of some stations, but otherwise we can work with you on this. And so I think we need to do that with protected bike lanes and say, look, we're going to have a network. And this was the streets master plan was trying to get around this kind of trench warfare too, by saying it's the city's goal to do this. The problem is I think it was, it was kind of structured for somebody like Corey Johnson becoming mayor. And so for the, Street master plan to be there now, it's being sort of just looked at as a bunch of targets as opposed to a change in methodology. So we don't know what the Adams people are going to do. And I don't, I don't know that A, the mayor's focused on this, or B, that the commissioner looks at it as this kind of question. And um, we don't, we don't know how they're gonna how they're gonna deal with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lastly, John, uh during as you as you mentioned where we started, um, I asked you to reflect back to last year, and you moderated a, a forum on biking and, and creating a more bike friendly city among uh, six candidates in the Democratic primary for mayor, including the eventual winner Eric Adams. You mentioned um, at the time uh, the candidate Adams didn't really have you know much of a designed bike plan. There were other candidates who had more specifics out on paper, including Scott Stringer, who had, among other ideas, this um, idea of really transforming a lot of um, streets around schools into more more bike-friendly infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Any other sort of 
creative ideas out there that you just want to, you know, shout out here in our final minute? Um, any other sort of really interesting ways that people are thinking about making a more bike friendly city or, or things that you've been thinking about that you want to throw out there or, or anything you've seen well, elsewhere? Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things that would, which could be transformative here is would be to really complete the greenway system. And it's not like something you're going to do in a year, but one of the things Adams did write down was he wanted to implement bicycle superhighways, and no one really knew what that meant. But that's what we have. Like, that's what the, the greenway up the west side is. Like, if that's not a bicycle superhighway, I don't know what is. But we we have we have a bunch of those around town, which were designed like pre-World War II or even like an Ocean Parkway's case, 19th century, that um, performed very badly, partly because like on Pelham Parkway, for example, it's like six feet wide, and it's supposed to meet both two-way bike traffic and pedestrian traffic as well. And this huge right-of-way. So like, come on, let's just build a real bike highway there. But the problem is the jurisdictional stuff is, is a mess, right? Like Parks Department owns that thing. Parks is the broke-ass, you know, you know, sister of government. And and it's very hard. And, and they don't have any way of like maintaining concrete or asphalt the way DOT does. So it's very hard to like you know, to, to get a handle on actually doing the greenway system, but we're getting, we, we've been talking to DOT about this for about a couple of years now, and they're starting to try to figure out ways to stuff more projects into the pipeline. Like the, like the, the greenways we've seen that are newish down on like Kent Avenue by the Navy yard and Flushing Avenue by the Navy yard. Those are DOT projects that DDC builds. And again, they take forever, like 10 years, but um, we need to reform the 10 year part and we need to stuff more money in and we need to fix the jurisdictional part so parks can fix their old greenways and we can figure out who's going to connect those things up. So the Adams guys did just announce 50 million bucks for some greenway upgrades in, in Queens and Brooklyn, which is great. But, you know, there's a lot more to it. And 50 million is kind of a, a slim down payment right now. OK, well, we'll leave it there. Um, biking is uh, booming in New York City and has been growing over time. And, um, you know, these issues are, are obviously of, of real importance in terms of uh, a variety of things related to public space, public health, um, carbon emissions, and, and much more. So um, uh, really important uh, discussion. And obviously, um, always, as, as we've gotten a little bit, some of the battles over, A, how New York City government is run and whether it's actually run effectively or to what degree it's run effectively, uh, land use battles that are uh, always happening in New York City and ways to potentially have fewer of those around these issues and, and so forth. Um, John Orchid is the director of advocacy for Bike New York and uh, a longtime uh, bike rider in New York City. And uh, and I appreciate your time, John. Thank you. Um, anytime, Ben. Uh, really a pleasure to talk with you.